1: It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas.
0: The Natural Hat Trick, hosted by Luke Lipinski and Craig Morgan. Welcome into episode 267 of the Natural Hat Trick podcast, alongside Craig Morgan. The Natural Hat Trick early in the morning. It's <laughs> a really early morning. I'm Luke Lipinski. I don't know why it is so early. Why it feels so early? It's I mean it's light out, but it's a Sunday. We're recording this because we didn't know when we would be able to record it this week because the Coyotes play every night now,
1: and uh, so far, Craig, they look pretty good. We're only two games in, but a pretty good start. All the goals. Where's this offense coming from? This has been fun to watch. Eight goals through two games. Will it keep up against the Vegas Golden Knights, though? Uh, No, not at
0: that pace. But, you know, you ask where it's coming from. And I know Phil Kessel has three of the goals. I really feel like a lot of this is being triggered by Connor Garland. These first two games felt like he was kind of in control
1: when he was out there. Yeah, no doubt. And I I talked about this uh, with him in the offseason. We talked about it with him on the podcast recently that he wanted to be more of a distributor, get a little bit closer to the player that he was in juniors, but still maintain, you know, the, the remade part of his game where he's still getting to the net, getting to the tight areas. And so far, man, he's been electric. He really has. And you're right. It's probably
0: because he did this podcast last week. That's why. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised he hasn't outwardly credited that, but I think, I think we all just kind of know. So he assumes like, you know, you don't have to repeat something if it's so obvious. Um, Phil Kessel, the three goals in the first two games last year, it took him 13 games to get his first three goals. It's, he looks different.
1: He, uh, well, I wrote about this today. Thank you for the segue. Uh, Um, whatever you're doing, how'd you already
0: already write something today? It's eight in the morning.
1: Well, it was, it was last night. I wrote it off the game, but I've been waiting to write that story for three weeks because I talked to his trainer, Tommy powers. I had talked to Bill Armstrong about him. I had talked to Rick Tockett about him and Clayton Keller talked to about him on media day. So, Of course, some things about Phil haven't changed. I haven't heard from (laughs) Phil over the past three weeks, but since he scored two goals for the second straight game, we requested him in the Zoom call, and I thought, this is the perfect opportunity to write this story, even if I don't get, you know, a lot of details on that off-season of training from Phil Kessel, I probably have enough. I'll get some things from him, and sure enough, he, he provided, so I wrote the story. It's funny when you guys request uh, the players for the Zoom call
0: in post game. Like sometimes we'll play them and sometimes we just don't have time to get to them or whatever. But when when I'm told that we have Phil Kessel audio, we drop everything. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God.
1: Yeah. Like a unicorn just walked through the studio. Let's uh, flip that camera on. Um, I'll say this for him. You know, when he has talked about last season, he's been candid about it. He hasn't tried (laughs) to sugarcoat it. He has just said it was awful. Couldn't have been worse for me. You know, he noted he had some injuries, and Tommy Powers talked about how they had to sort of rehab him from those, and also learn, uh, teach him to to compensate for maybe some of the imbalances in his body. But again, credit to Phil. He said, "I'm not going to blame those. I was I was just bad last season." So the, the uh, main takeaway here is that he did something about it. There there were a lot of there was a lot of talk inside this organization that he probably didn't dedicate himself to his training the way he should have he did enough to get by and because he was Phil Kessel and he was he was scoring like crazy while he's with Pittsburgh um, it was okay he could get away with that and he was younger but as you get older as you come to a team like the Coyotes that doesn't have Katie Malkin or Sidney Crosby you might need to do a few more things to prepare and credit to him he went to Tommy this offseason and apparently put in the time you know again I don't I don't know if this is going to last the season I don't know if it's some sort of uh, crazy form of training like Walter Payton used to do. But he did more than he's done in the past. So that's good. And early on, we may be seeing the results with three goals. Well, and to be fair, the Penguins
0: don't have Evgeny Malkin anymore either, apparently. (laughs) So it's, you know, he got out, I guess, at the right time. But no, this is, it's going to be, you see him these, these first two games and you're like, well, he is supposed to be the best scorer on the Coyotes. It's really not even supposed to be close. I mean, I don't even know who the second, leading goal scorer is on this team, just as far as career goals, it might be Derek Brassard. And if it is, Castle has double what he has. I mean, he is supposed to be this goal scorer and he just wasn't last year. So to your point, it's good to see that he went out there and did something about it. He's not going to score three goals every two games. It is a condensed schedule. If he does, he's going to win MVP. The most awesome story ever. 84 goals. It would, he would, uh, we'd have another zoom call from him and that's about it. But um, if, you know, for, with the condensed schedule and the way you, know, you just described, he's later in his career. He's not, you know, he's not like a crazy workout fiend. It's, um, it's going to be interesting to see how this season plays out, but he seems so motivated because, like you said, he has called last season awful on a number of occasions. He seems so motivated to put last season in the rearview mirror and just make it look like an outlier. And if he's able to have a good season this year, then last year will be an outlier.
1: If you look at his numbers, he's, he's pretty consistent throughout his whole career. Yeah. And he he won't even have to do follow-up stories on this because, you know, he just won't talk to people. So this is it. We're done. We're probably done talking about last season, but you know, again, he said he was embarrassed by it. He literally said those words at at one point, I think it was before they went into the bubble. Um, So at least you're recognizing it, right? Um, he, He still has to perform and everybody knows he has to perform. Everybody has told him he has to perform, but he did the right things and maybe it'll pay off for Phil Kessel. And boy, that would, I mean, we've talked so much about where are they going to get this extra .3 to .5 goals per game. Well, if Phil Kessel's scoring a goal per game, that's really going to help.
0: Second game against San Jose, Barrett Hayton scored. Clayton Keller scored in both of the games against San Jose. I mean, part of the reason I think you, you can get excited here a little bit as a Coyotes fan is the guys that you need to step up are mm-hmm. stepping up. And especially with, in the case in the case of Kessel, he's done it his whole career other than last year. In the case of Keller, people really expect that he's going to do this at some point. The key with him is consistency, not, you know, he starts every season strong. And then uh, Barrett Hayton getting a second career goal. We'll see how sustainable it is. Uh, Like you have said, we've got Vegas coming
1: up for four games this week. That's a little bit different than playing San Jose. But the right guys are producing so far. No question. Um, And Clayton Keller, incidentally, also training with Tommy Powers this summer, uh, a lot of times alongside Phil Kessel. So, uh, he, he talked a lot about his training program in the off season. And, and that one sounded very serious too. So Clayton Keller has, he's had some jump in his game. Barrett. I really, I can't say I really noticed him through those first two games, but it was good to see him get that goal because that can boost a guy's confidence. And that was,
0: man, that was a great
1: shot that he, that he unleashed again from Connor Garland. Um, they're also getting some production from their defensemen. Uh, Oliver Ekman Larson and Jacob Chikrin are chipping in. Uh, I think they need to clean up maybe some of their defensive details, but, yeah, a lot of the guys that were on that list of okay, these are the guys that need to do it if this team is going to take another step, they're there right now.
0: I, I want to see what happens now this week because it's not like I think what the Coyotes just did was a fluke, but I, I do feel like, especially by the second game against San Jose, they were kind of just allowed to do whatever they wanted in the Sharks zone. It was almost like the Coyotes, like, okay, we want to work on this for the rest of the season. or oh, we want to do this and. I don't know how San Jose got to the point where they are at, and I know the Sharks ended up winning one of the two games. So, uh, you know, it's early in the season, and they haven't played in 10 months, so maybe that's a part of where they're at. But still got Eric Carlson and Brent Burns and, and uh, Mark Edward Vlasic on that blue line, and they that defense just, you don't notice it anymore. I didn't even notice Brent Burns for two games.
1: Yeah, but I don't know that Brent Burns and Eric Carlson were ever known for defensive zone play. They were known for getting the puck out of the defensive zone. Those guys, they're not shut down defensemen, and that's a problem if you make a team like that defend. And then... I mean, we talk about all the other losses that they've had, right? With Joe Horton yeah. and Patrick Marleau and and Joe Pavelski, and there's there's a lot that's uh, left that team uh, recently. So they're they're just, I think you pointed it out as we were walking through the press box last night. Eh, San Jose's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> and,
0: and and you know I understand the whole like okay, all those guys they have lost over the years, they're not going to be as good as they were. What did they they went to the Cup four years ago? Uh, I get that, but I mean they do still have they still have Carlson and Burns and Hurdle and Meyer and, and uh, Couture and Evander Kane had a good series. I mean, they still have enough guys where they – I just don't – for me this year, they're going to be what Anaheim was for me last year where I thought they should just be kind of mediocre. And now after watching these games and then, you know, seeing what they did last year, maybe they will be less than mediocre. We'll see. Somebody's going to have to be uh, in this division.
1: What do you think of Ronta starting game two? They don't have a back-to-back until like mid-February somehow. Well, I – I think this is typical of what you see early in a season. I know it didn't play out all across the league, but Rick Talk had even talked about this. You very rarely see coaches who will ride their number one out of the gate. You want guys to get into a bit of a rhythm. So it m- makes a lot more sense to split the duties early in the season until you-, you feel a guy's ready to just, you know, go on one of those runs. So it, it made perfect sense to me. Uh, I also thought, I mean – The last goal, the third goal, is one that clearly Ante Ranta didn't want to let through. That should not have squeezed through. But the first two were on, crazy deflections. I thought he was solid. You know, again, these guys haven't played in so long, so you can't expect perfection. But I thought he was pretty solid in goal last night. Well, he really hasn't played. I didn't even realize it until he he brought it up post
0: game. He hadn't started a game since February 29th. I know he had played two games in the bubble, but they were mop-up duty and blowout losses to Colorado. That's not really playing. Yeah, yeah, that's that's
1: tough on a goaltender and he yeah, he did he I asked him about that in the Zoom call last night. It's, he he did a lot of training himself. Uh, I I talked about this with him. I haven't written about it yet, but he did a a little bit different form of training really to focus on staying healthy. Um it's a lot. of – He worked with a guy back in Finland in addition to, you know, what he's done since he got back here, so I think all of us, knowing Antti Ronta have the person, I think all of us hope that the, the poor guy can get through a season without injuries because it's been a rough run for him.
0: Yeah, that's really been his only issue. Like, I mean, he's not a perfect goalie, but I don't remember a lot of times where we're like, boy, Ronta just isn't playing well. The issue's always been, boy, Ronta just isn't playing. You know that, that, I mean, he was supposed to be the starter. Darcy Kemper wasn't the starter two years ago. He wasn't even really the clear-cut starter going into last season. But Ronta just couldn't stay on the ice, and obviously Kemper was, has been outstanding. Um, the other thing that stood out from that first game, it was weird. The first game they lose, they lose in the shootout. It almost felt like a, not a win, but everybody I think kind of walked out of there encouraged. Uh, for me, it wasn't just that Phil Kessel scored. It wasn't that they got a point in a game where they were losing by two with four or five minutes left. It was that they scored a six on five goal which, as Rick Tockett said, they've been looking for for, quote, years.
1: Unquote. Yeah, he was hilarious in that, actually. I, I wanted to stay with that thread a little longer, but, the, again, mm-hmm. Zoom calls just don't allow you to do the sort of stuff that you want to do in interviews. But yeah, when you looked at their stats, I think I think I had written it in the, the story after that night. There were only two teams since Rick Tockett took over that had fewer six-on-five goals than the Coyotes had. They were just – we we've saw it. They were a disaster. It wasn't even like they got great chances over the past few years. They just – they couldn't even set up. They were so bad. So it was nice to see, and it was also bizarre to see, and he talked about this too, Phil Kessel and Alex Goligoski were the two guys net front when they scored that goal, which, you know, you expect to see that all the time. Oh, yeah, obviously, just the way you draw it up. Yeah, but what he talked about is in those situations, you may have to move to a different spot. It's just the way the, the flow of the play occurs in six-on-five, and he he told guys, he had talked to them about – needing to do that, if that was the case, move to an open space. And that's, that's what both of those guys ended up doing Goligoski and, and somebody covered for him too, which was an important part of it, but he ended up in that space and the two of them played a key role in getting that point. And man, they should have finished off that two on O in overtime and, and had four points out of this series. Yeah, that's a good point. But it was, it was Keller
0: and brassard wasn't it? They came down, it was a two on O. And then they actually had a similar like four on one yesterday. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it didn't matter yesterday, but they, uh, they're still overpassing a little bit. But six on five, they didn't. And you're right. Last, last year, really the last couple of years, they either couldn't get set up, they couldn't get in the zone, or when they did, the thing that stood out last year when they had six on five and, and there were points of the season when the power play wasn't clicking, it felt like the Coyotes were passing the puck because they felt like, well, we have an extra guy, we should be passing it. It was almost for show. It was never for any sort of purpose. And these first two games, they have moved the puck to get clearer shots or to get better positioning, which I know that sounds simple, but that got lost last year.
1: Yeah, that and puck retrievals, right? When you finally did get the shot, the puck retrievals are so key on a power play situation, and they weren't good at that either. So the power play itself has been okay, too. We've seen some, some good puck movement and, more importantly, some good chances they've been able to set up in the zone a lot. So that's encouraging to see. Again, I don't know how to grade this stuff. After two games, but that's that's what jumped out at me about the power play, and then the the penalty kill. I tweeted about this last night. I think that's going to be a bit of a work in progress. They lost three key guys when you talk about Brad Richardson, uh, Michael Grabner, and Derek Stepan from that unit. You know, people were a couple people I I saw complaining about the penalty killing unit, but I'm like, (laughs) they had a week and a half of cam Yeah, like when when did you expect them to iron out these kinks? They need reps. They need to get reps in that, so we're going to have to wait and see how that plays out. That has been an elite unit for the Coyotes for most of Rick Dockett's tenure, and clearly for a defensive team, you need it to be that way. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I wouldn't overreact
0: to the fact they're giving up power play goals yet. Fortunately, they don't play Colorado for a little while, so it won't get completely exposed, ideally. But, you know, what you just said, you did lose Michael Grabner Brad Richardson and Derek Stepon, and specifically with those first two, you lost the – ability to counter-attack and be dangerous as a shorthanded goal-scoring team, which I know you can't build around that and you can't depend on that, but how many times do we see Richie and, and Gravner just take off and either score in the last two years or have a great scoring chance? I mean, we are not going to have the Michael Gravner shorthanded breakaway every game this year.
1: Oh, I, and I miss that. I do. I do too. Yeah. yeah. yeah um, I mean, the, the other thing it does is when you're a power play, facing guys like that, it puts it in the back of your mind. So you're not as aggressive because you're worried that you're going to get embarrassed. Cause nobody wants to give up a shorthanded goal. Nobody wants to give up any goal, but giving up a shorthanded goal is embarrassing for a team.
0: It is. And you know, the other thing that I would say too, it's tough to, to read anything into two games, obviously, but last year, two games in, they had scored at what, one goal in the first two games. Like it took a while to get the offense going last year. And also, this is, you know, I've had this conversation with people about the NBA this year where they're like, oh, it's a shorter season. At the NBA, it's 10 games shorter. Like, it's not that much shorter. The NHL has basically lost a third of the season if you're going down to 56 games. So that is significant. And to get out of the gate, you know, we'll see. They got quite the test here against Vegas. But if, no. if you can start strong this season, you're in a pretty good spot.
1: No doubt. Yeah. And what, what have you seen? Uh, I was curious what, what your takeaways are. And again, we're, we're only a couple games into the season, but when you look around the league, like, this is sort of what I wanted. I expected to see from San Jose. This is what I expected to see from LA. I, I didn't even catch the Anaheim final last night, actually, but the California teams I, I figured would struggle uh, both because they're not very good and because they haven't played since March. Yeah. Vegas ended up winning an overtime last night, but,
0: um, uh, the thing that has stood out to me, and it's funny because this, you really can't even, you can't see it manifest itself yet, but I just, it's the realization has sort of hit me and even just talking to people up in the in the press box, I mean, all of these games, and Connor Garland said this last week on the show, they're all four-point games. What mm-hmm. that does is we're going to see some radical shifts in these divisions over the course of the year. Like, you may see a team that is in second place drop to sixth pretty quickly or you know, relatively quickly, whereas in years past, it was like, okay, you know, we're – five points behind that team. We're playing Buffalo and New Jersey all week and they're off playing Colorado. And, you know, you're not, how much ground are you really going to make up? Whereas now you're only playing, it's
1: almost like four different leagues this year. It really is. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what it is. And that's, I mean, the AHL is doing the same thing and their the road owners president described it to me as exactly that it really is four separate leagues. So it, yeah, it, it, it's, it's weird in so many ways. It's going to be weird when we get to the playoffs too. And these teams haven't seen each other once we get to the final four. Yeah, that is going to be strange. And here, one more before we move off to Coyotes. Uh, Oliver
0: Eckman Larson, an awkward hit and high stick to the face from Evander Kane yesterday. Three assists yesterday in the game for OEL. I mean, they obviously need him. I know that it, it almost feels like years ago now, this offseason, where he was the constant focal point of trade discussions or trade rumors. But if they're going to build off what they've done these first two games, they obviously need their number one defenseman back there.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, obviously he he finally ended up talking pretty candidly about everything that happened within this offseason. I did a Q and A on him a while back. I really believe he's motivated. I really do from talking to him. Um, with all that he went through, he knows he's the captain. He knows he has to perform anyway. But I think this was again. I think this was a little embarrassing, a little angering for him. Uh, I just I think I feel like he has a lot to prove. And the other thing that I wrote about, and I wonder, I'm not, I'm not saying this is going to be a magic wand that fixes everything, but he's got Shane Doan around now. He's got a guy that was his mentor to bounce ideas off of. I'm wondering if that's going to help OEL as well. Um, uh, by all accounts, and, and Rick Tockett, it was one of the first things that he mentioned to me when I talked to him about him is he apparently did some really serious training when he was back in Sweden. And you, you always love to see that from guys in the offseason, provide they're doing it the right way. It just feels like he he has the right attitude coming into this season. And again, like we've talked about, he's one of those key guys that has to perform this season if this team is going to take another step. That's one of the biggest intangibles, I would say, with this team is they did make the playoffs last year. They got the
0: experience of actually playing two playoff series, even if the Nashville one didn't technically count as a playoff. It was still – you got the experience of playing in a best-of series. So they had their bests result for a season in eight years and yet we've already rattled off a couple guys here like Phil Kessel did not have a good year last year. Oliver ekman really didn't have a good year last year. Clayton Keller was kind of all over the place last year so you take a step back and you're like wait they made the playoffs I thought those guys really even doing what they should be able to do and yeah I would assume they are all motivated. Keller looks different like even just walking around he looks like a different person so if you're gonna get I would say if they get The production they're hoping for from even two of those guys, I mean, there's definitely a playoff spot wide open in this division. There's five teams fighting for it, and I would say the Coyotes are in the top two of those five for sure.
1: Yeah, and Minnesota doesn't play L.A. every game this year, right? Oh, boy, those are... (laughs) The, uh, the Kaprazov. Kaprazov has looked good so far for a
0: couple games. Right. Just prompting a slew of tweets from from everybody that, hey, maybe Minnesota won't be the most boring team in the league just because of Kaprazov.
1: It's true, although he's probably going to hit a rookie wall at some point, especially in a schedule like this. So, uh, yeah, I've seen all the uh, excitement about him, and there should be excitement about him, but we'll, we'll see how he holds up over the grind of an NHL season. Uh,
0: the other thing that has stood out to me so far is um, – nationally, I haven't heard anything about any of the 24 teams that are south of the Canadian border. So if you are looking, maybe I should have introduced the show this way, if you're looking for some sort of hockey talk that also includes the other three divisions that aren't the Canadian, North, Scotia division, uh, we're probably your place for it because I can't find any. Everywhere I'm listening, it's just – and that's a great division and it's a a very compelling division and I would say probably the most interesting top to bottom. I'm fully on board with that. But there are actually four divisions this season. So it's yeah, gonna be it's funny.
1: you can go to SportsNet's website and, and, and you can just read about all the Canadian teams and find very little about anyone else. So it feels like a continuation of that. Now they now they have an excuse to just ignore the United States. Well, that's the
0: thing. In years past, like a lot of the
1: a lot of the good podcasts for
0: for the NHL are based out of Canada. And so it would get to the point you start to get deeper into the season and you're like, hey, this is an hour long show, and they've talked about Toronto for forty minutes. But at least what they would do is they would talk about the team that Toronto was playing next. So over the course of the season, you would hear about every team. This year, man, I don't. you're going to have to actively search out information on – pick some team, you know, some team in the Central Division. If you want to hear about Dallas, you're, even as good as Dallas is. I know they haven't played yet. But teams like that, you're going to have to go out and search for it because you're going to hear about the teams in your market and you're only going to hear about
1: Canada out of your market, it feels like. Yeah. I guess we're not surprised down in Arizona. Maybe may Coyotes fans are like, cool. <laughs> they won't be talking about the Coyotes at all because we know <laughs> what they talk about when they talk about the Coyotes. That's true. We're, we're kind of more used to it
0: here. But if, you are a, uh, if you're a fan of the Blue Jackets you don't live in Columbus, don't expect to hear about them very much. Uh, also, at what point does Canada push for this format permanently? <laughs> Just to make sure they get someone in the Final Four every year. You're, yeah, you are guaranteed a, a 25% chance of, of winning the Cup every year. Um
1: I will go <laughs> Pittsburgh looks terrible. Like Oh you started there. I even gave you Tampa first so that you didn't have to talk about the the Penguins. Yeah, I wasn't I,
0: I I'll let you get to Tampa in a second. Uh, I will I will say without a doubt Pittsburgh misses the playoffs this year. Um hmm. and part of the reason why is A they're not very good outside of Crosby at this point. But B they are in a, a difficult division where I would say two two decent teams are going to miss the playoffs. But the other one, and this this is not a shock if you follow the Penguins, but it's been very apparent, they don't ever beat Philadelphia, Washington, or Boston. So, like, if they go 0-24 in those three <laughs> sets of games, I'm not really going to be that shocked. Um, they beat Washington in the playoffs, but that's about it. I, I Like, honestly, I could see them going – 1 and 7 against Philly, 1 6 and 1 against Washington and 0 oh and 8 against Boston. So that's not really a great it's not a great foundation to build your season off, off of, but they just they look miserable and I think Mike Sullivan is an excellent coach, but I do wonder if they panic at some point if this continues and they've got Washington today. I just don't see them winning any games here for a while. I mean, they give up five or six goals like it's nothing every game now.
1: Yeah, the, the goals against right now is a little bit concerning, but it's two games in. I We did our predictions for standings in the last show, and I think I had the Penguins fourth edging out the Islanders, who I still think have some troubles. But that, to me, is that's probably the battle right there for the fourth and fifth spot, just like the Coyotes in Minnesota in the West. I can't see the Penguins missing the playoffs. I just I have a, a really hard time seeing it happen. I just can't see them
0: winning against those three teams. Like I, I agree with you in, in theory, you should be able to find a way to get in over the Islanders. But I do think the Islanders will win like three or four against Washington or something. And they'll steal a couple against Boston. Feel free to watch penguins Bruins when they play. I will be stunned if Pittsburgh stays within two goals in any of those games. Like they just do not beat the Bruins, but, um, this isn't a penguin show. We may as well get to the Blackhawks, Craig. How do they
1: look for the first couple games? <laughs> uh <sighs> yeah well, or three goals they've allowed yeah. 10 goals but they were playing tampa minus nikita kucherov it's going to be a really long season in chicago um i you know with 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 kirby doc and jonathan Daves out this is a really bad team this is a team that could drop all the way to the bottom of the division and maybe that's what they want actually maybe they want to you know, win the lottery. Maybe the NHL has told them you'll be winning the lottery if you finish last because you're not Arizona. And so that's their plan. But I don't know. I, I just know this is going to be a, a dreadful team to watch this season. And yet there I will be watching every game because that's what I've done since childhood. Because you, you're you into that sort of uh, yeah. self-torture. Well, right. maybe, maybe... I will flagellate sometimes too while I'm watching, you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't even want, know what those things are called. Yeah, it's... uh or something. You, yeah, It's like where you're doing a you Like almost. You're trying to get that visual out of your head, aren't you?
0: Um, look, I'm trying to get a lot of visuals out of my head after these first two games of the season for for Pittsburgh. And, yeah, at least Chicago played Tampa, although Chicago's not. The thing about Chicago is you're at least in a division where you are playing Detroit a few times, which maybe, to your point, isn't a good thing because it will prevent you from drafting Owen Power. Like I feel like with Pittsburgh and Chicago, this season this is just going to become the Owen Power segment in about three weeks.
1: And there may be, can be four really bad teams in that division, Luke. I mean, yeah. if Florida Florida doesn't figure it out, we may have four really bad teams because Columbus is off to a terrible start. And I, I predicted this as well. You I don't did. think Columbus is very good. This could be just a – there could be a massive split between the four playoff teams and the four teams that miss. That That is going to be the worst division.
0: I don't think there's any doubt. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the problem for a team like yours is if you know you're going to miss the playoffs – those four bad teams are probably going to beat each other a little bit. Like, I don't, is there going to be a clear cut terrible team other than Detroit? Probably not. Maybe the Blackhawks though. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I like this new uh, mindset we're going into the season with, of let's just see how bad it can be for our hometown teams.
1: Uh, so long as fewer points, the Blackhawks or the Penguins, I'm saying the Blackhawks without question, even though they play a lot of games against Detroit and Florida and Columbus
0: It's tough because they're in that division. Like I do think Pittsburgh's better than Chicago, especially no Kirby Doc and no Jonathan Taves. Yeah, I'll I'll say Chicago has fewer points, but Pittsburgh better beat up on New Jersey and Buffalo a lot. Mm. Um, Along those lines, though, with Tampa, is it possible that this is kind of like they have been loaded for a few years? They finally broke through last year and. I know there are other contenders, but is it possible Tampa,
1: especially if you get draw back for the playoffs, is a whole, like, in their own tier at this point. They could be, and they've got the swag, like you said. So, yeah, they they, they may be at this point. Again, it's, it's so early. I just, when I look around the league, at looking for elite teams, especially in the East, I mean, Boston, I think, has taken a significant step back. I really do, with all of their losses. I don't think they're going to be as good this year. Pittsburgh's not as good. I don't think Washington's as good. Maybe Philadelphia, but it sure feels like, uh, you know, kind of an easy path for Tampa all the way back to the cup final. Well, yeah,
0: at least to the final four. I mean, any of those yeah. teams
1: that, that you're going to list. I mean, I,
0: I do. I do kind of think Washington's still going to be really good. I think Samsonov is, is a step up from what Holtby was last year. And I, I'm interested to see what Philadelphia does against other teams. They have perennially underachieved until last year, I thought, and we talked yeah. about it on the show a lot for in the last few years. It was I mean I enjoyed it don 't get me wrong, I liked Philadelphia missing the playoffs, but it didn 't really add up with the pieces they had um, so if if there 's going to be another team to to come out over there you 're looking at you know Philadelphia or Washington or maybe Boston, but they 're all going to play each other, so you know yeah. Tampa kind of just goes right through to the final four.
1: The other team I wonder about is Dallas based on what they did last year, um, and they're they're the type of team that can give Tampa trouble. Cause they can play physical they, they they could do that but i also wonder you know what that team's shelf life is they're already getting old uh and i'm not convinced that what we saw in the bubble is really who they are over over the stretch of the regular season they had a lot of troubles and we'll see if they are able to recap uh, recapture that magic especially when they have to play you know 56 games in like 90 days when it when it's all said and done for <laughs> seriously
0: that's going to be a major disadvantage. You don't often see the uh, the two teams that met in the Stanley Cup in the same division next year. That, that's a little bit of a plot twist this year. Um, hey, did you see Voracek's post-game press conference the other day? Yes, I did. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> He's like the most mild-mannered guy ever, and that's what living in Philadelphia can do. We can't repeat what he said, but – you can easily find the video on uh, on social media, and really, I wouldn't even look at Voracek or listen to him. Just look at Travis Konechny's
1: reaction; <laughs> he yeah, has like, no idea what's crazy. going on. It's great, and I, look, I, some reporters go too far, and you know, I can see that happening in Philadelphia of all places. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't think the team likes to see something like that. I don't. I don't I, it sets a tone for younger players. You have to be thicker skinned than that as a player. You just do. So that wasn't a good look for Jake Borachek but it's gonna be—it's uh, it's gonna live in infamy. Certainly, it goes down in those top ten interviews with like Derek Anderson and uh, Denny Green. <laughs> oh, I was at <laughs> the Derek Anderson one. Oh yeah, that's that was Ken Summers locally. Oh yeah, yeah it was. The most innocuous question—not <laughs> innocuous, but you know, <laughs> wanted to, wanted to know why you were laughing on the sidelines of a blowout. <laughs> Well, Ken Summers is unfazed by
0: responses like that. Yes, he, is. <laughs> he was the best person to... Uh, to... It's great
1: to be sitting right next to him when he asked the question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, you know, to your point, especially in this era where, like, PR's right there operating the Zoom calls and everything, I'm sure they don't love that. And, and you know, Voracek is not... That's not Zach Cassian going off after a game against Matthew right. Kachuk, you know, 60 games into the year. That's Jake Voracek going off, after two wins to start the year. So uh, there may be something there to keep an eye on over the, the
1: course. Yeah, of those, it had been yeah. building up, no question about that. But, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Where was the PR staff just, like, step in? and like? Do you, <laughs> you remember, uh, just a shout-out to Mark Dalton with the Cardinals, do you remember after Denny Green just launched into that tirade? That was the only question he answered in that press conference because uh, right after right after he finished, you could hear Mark Dalton off-camera say, thanks, coach. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: there's a strong PR move right there. That's why, this is why Mark Dalton's one of the best in this era. Though they could just pop up the technical difficulty sign and be like, "Oh, sorry, our Zoom went out, and we'll right, right. we we'll soothing thing. music. We'll see you next game or whatever." <laughs> um, Connor McDavid. It took him all of one game to score a hat trick this year. <laughs> the, the the difference between him and other great players of the last I don't know fifteen years is he just consistently embarrasses people. Like I'll listen to the argument that Nathan McKinnon is a better player right now overall. And I do think Sidney Crosby up until let's say last year was a better player overall than Connor McDavid. But McDavid's right there and you just don't want to be in his highlights. But the problem is he takes the entire opposing team into his highlights with him.
1: Yeah, the the thing that that we we've talked about this in the past. I think Eddie, Eddie Olchek was the one that said he's he's one of a handful of players that I've ever seen who seems faster when the puck is on a stick than when he's just skating normally. And, and you saw in that one, that speed rush goal that he had, it, it was just absurd. how What he can do at that speed, under control, the, the, the skills that he has to execute a play like that, it, it's, it's one thing to just skate fast. There have been fast skaters in the NHL, but a lot of them can't do what they need to do at that speed. He's so under control, he can just embarrass you.
0: Well, and the thing is, I know these professional athletes, they've been competing their entire life. Like anybody that has that sense of competition is not going to be like, oh, I'm afraid of facing this guy or, you know, it's in the back of my mind like this guy could burn me. But I think with McDavid, honestly, he's done it so so consistently since the day he broke into the league. But how can you not be afraid that, like, you know, you talk about how fast he is with the puck. I would assume guys are going to give him even more space just because they don't want to get completely burned down the ice. And it doesn't seem to matter. Like this is a 56-game season. Would it shock you if he put
1: up 40 goals if he wanted to? No, no. And I don't, I don't know how you I, – I, you know, I, w- I would love to read a story that dissects how you defend Connor McDavid because you're right. G- you, you, you talk about gaps with defensemen. You need to gap up. But, man, if you gap up with him,
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: slide around you and really embarrass you. So I, I would love to talk to a coach and a, a few defensemen and, and forwards about how to defend Connor McDavid.
0: Um, not to be like all of the other podcasts and shows out there, but just your early impressions from that North division with, um, I don't, I, I don't understand the love for
1: Montreal, but they are off to a decent start. Yeah. I I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't either. I don't think they have the pieces in the end, unless some of these other teams struggle more than we thought they were going to like, you, you look at what Edmonton and Vancouver have done early on. They've given up a lot of goals. So if if some teams slide, I suppose Montreal could climb in. But again, I I don't like their center position enough. I I don't think that they have overall the depth to to make a, a playoff run in this division. I think there are a number of teams that are probably better than them. But maybe you know maybe maybe Edmonton's depth comes back to bite them. Maybe Vancouver's inability to defend comes back to bite it. I don't know. We'll see. But look, I like Bucks are actually in last place in the division, and I'm sure this is a shock to the city because they expected them to, you know, go unblemished on their way to the Cup. Oh, and you have Bobby Orr on the blue line in just his uh, his, early in his career.
0: Montreal, I do like Nick Suzuki on Montreal. I do like some of the stuff that they have done this offseason, but I also think they're the fifth or sixth best team in that division. And I, I mean, I've seen predictions that had them winning it, and I've seen plenty that had them in the top two, and almost all of them
1: had them in the playoffs. That's what I don't get. I think even the Vegas odds have them as a playoff team. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. I mean, I'll I'll tell you this. Ottawa is going to miss the playoffs in that division. Other than that, I guess I wouldn't be surprised if Montreal made the playoffs, especially like like we talked about. Those other teams have some flaws. I mean, Vancouver has Elias Pettersson. Edmonton has McDavid and Dreisaitl. But both of those teams have significant flaws in their bottom six and on their blue lines. I was trying to describe Ottawa to a buddy of mine that is kind of getting into
0: hockey. And the best way I could describe them is they're not good, but – and they're not run well. Like if you go full organization, they're a mess. But if you just look at the pieces that they have, they're all so raw. But they have a decent amount now, a good collection of young talent with Kachuk. And, and, and I mean, they have a lot of them, really. And I feel like they're the kind of team, and we saw it the other night, that
1: on any given night, they could catch somebody in that division and surprise them. Yeah, and they brought in some decent guys to lead, like Derek Stepan, who scored the other night. Brad Richardson had a goal as well. So the yeah. x are, are getting it done around the league as well. But yeah, that's... I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a good mix of players to help the young guys grow. They could be competitive, but in the end, I just don't think they're going to be anywhere near good enough to make the playoffs. Um, Nashville, you mentioned they
0: have only played Columbus, so it's hard to get you know too much from this. But they looked a lot better these first couple games,
1: and they really did for 90% of last season. Yeah. I, I again, I don't know what, how to read this team. When, you, when you, you look at the blue line, it still has some of those key pieces, and – You know, they've got some good forwards. They don't have those game-breaking forwards either, but this was a team that went to the cup final, as you know, against Pittsburgh. And if they had had Ryan Johansson healthy in that series, it would have been a lot more interesting, in my opinion. Um, But is this a team that's sort of on its last hurrah? Or is this a team maybe looking at this division and thinking, you know, if we get off to a hot start in this division, we're guaranteed of getting into the playoffs because we know we're going to be ahead of at least three teams, maybe four I think that last part's really the key I mean there are there are in that division I would say
0: more so than any other there are playoff spots up for grabs like in the east I think that there are none I I think you have six teams fighting for four I think in in the Coyotes division as we've talked about you really should have two teams fighting for one but you get over in the north it's kind of like I don't know four or five six teams all fighting that's a pretty competitive but in the the central division it's like Tampa's in and I would guess Carolina and Dallas Yeah. yeah And then, yeah, I mean, Nashville. I would, I would say, I would. I'm confident Carolina and Dallas make it, but it wouldn't shock me if Nashville made it and finished ahead of both those teams and finished second.
1: You know, like there's, there's such a range for that team, and especially in that division. Yeah, and, and based on their recent pedigree, yeah, I, I'd agree with that assessment. You see the Keith Yandel news, by the way. Yeah, this. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I was just going to go there because we haven't seen Florida play yet, but he's going to have his Iron Man streak unless something has changed in the last hour. Yeah, uh, Frank Saravelli actually tweeted recently that it looks like he's going to be in the lineup now. Oh, interesting. Okay. So hopefully, the whole story will come out because that was bizarre. I mean, it looked like he was out of their top six. He wasn't going to be, you know, he wasn't going to be in the lineup. And he's got this Ironman streak going. That's one of the longest in the league. He has a chance to break the record, obviously. And suddenly, you're going to pull him from the lineup. And I didn't, I didn't get any inkling of this before this training camp that there was something amiss there. There was something wrong with Keith Yannel and Joel Quinville in Florida. No, I didn't either. And it, it's one thing, and we talked about this a lot last year with Kessel, where
0: it was like, okay, does the guy just need a couple nights off or whatever? We got, you know, midway through the season, he's clearly hurt. This is game one of the year. Like, I mean, I know Joe Quenville has a, a ton of equity built up around the league, and, and he can survive, you know, if, if people are, if there's backlash or whatever. But um, it would have been weird to be like, Keith Yandel's Iron Man streak ends as a healthy scratch. That in itself would have been weird. In game one of the
1: season, like what could, he hasn't played bad. Nobody's played. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. We're, maybe that will come out. Maybe it won't with Joel Quindle. But bizarre situation and one to watch down there. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, we got listener questions. Do you have anything else you want to touch
0: on around the league? No, I'm good. Okay. Uh, I noticed in your notes you said, please don't let the Wild be relevant. I think all of America except Minnesota agrees with you on that one. And all of Canada would, but they're not paying attention.
1: And that's all we have to say about that.
0: Yeah. Um, let's see. Eldon writes in, oh, this is, this is a, a I feel like Craig, I feel like you like planted this question. This, have you seen this question? I have not actually. Oh, this is perfect for you. Uh, Craig has mentioned before that there are certain players that reporters gravitate to for their interviews and sound bites. What are some players you'd love to have come to the coyote solely for the interviews and feel the starting lineup of all time, great coyote interview team?
1: Oh, Eldon, I wish I had given this more thought. It's early in the morning. I worked late into the night. Uh, Boy. Boy. That's a good question. Does anyone jump to mind for you off the top Um, of your I mean,
0: well, I'll I'll do the second part first, just in terms of Coyotes that would be on the all-time team. Uh, Antoine Vermette was always great. And and you and I do our interviews in a a different capacity because you're in there in the locker room after the game, and I'm always just interviewing one player one-on-one in the hallway for the radio show. Obviously, Shane Doan would captain that team. I mean, he was the best interviewer you could, you could get. But uh, Antoine Vermette would be up there for me. I've actually always had good luck with Oliver. He's always been a good interview for me. Um, I know you're going to say Brad Richardson, so I'll let you go,
1: go down that path. He would have to be on the team, too. Yeah, Brad Richardson would definitely be on. Just because he, first of all, he, he's very funny. He's not afraid to just, just have fun with reporters, but he's also so blunt he will mm-hmm. never sugarcoat what he just saw on the ice or what he's feeling at the time. And I mean, mm-hmm. as a reporter, what, that's, that's like a godsend to have because there's so much cliche speak around the league. You, you hear the same things and we, you know, we joke about it, get pucks deep, you know, give 110%, whatever it is, all the, all the oh, horrible yeah. cliches that you hear that you're, you're, you know, you're not even going to use in a quote. I will not write this because it's so bad. And tells me, tells no one anything about what happened in the game. But Richardson was one of those guys where you could get great quotes. Yeah, let's do that instead. I'm going to give this some thought about who I would want from around the league. But in the Coyotes locker room, Richardson was one of those guys. Christian Fisher is a terrific interview. Another guy that has a lot of fun when you talk to him, especially when you get him loosened up and he's he's feeling good about his game. Uh, Connor Garland. Unbelievable interview. Yeah. so insightful. I I can sit and talk to him. They, our listeners heard it last. The last time he was on the podcast, he's he's unbelievable.
0: Yeah, and I will say this too: it's not it's not going to be all that easy to get uh, interviews like that this season, just because of how isolated the players have to be and everything. So, I mean, the fact that Garland gave us what like forty five minutes last week is uh, that speaks. That speaks to who Garland is. And and like you just said, I mean, he's always since day one, he's always been a great interview uh, stepping in. There are there are some really good interviews on this team, which is impressive because it's it's still a younger team. Like I haven't talked to Broussard yet. And you start to get into the vets. But um, I know you go back over like
1: the last five, six, seven years, who has stood out to you? Step was good. Derek Stepan was a good interview. Yeah, Step was a good one. Um, Well, I mean, if if it wasn't after a game, Shane Doan was always a great interview. After a game, he he'd get especially after a loss, he'd get that far <laughs> away I, when he was talking, like wouldn't even look you in the eyes, like staring off, like pondering his existence because they had just lost a game. I mean it wasn't the end of the world, but to Shane it was the end of the world. And it, it, he'd keep repeating, I need to be better, I need to be better. So <laughs> you didn't want to go to him after games, but if you got him on off days, he was fantastic to talk to. So I love talking to him. The other guy who we just mentioned if you got him in the right situation, if you could just get him one-on-one, Keith Yandel is so funny. He's yeah. so ridiculously funny. If you if he was just loose on that particular day, man, it, it could be absolute gold talking to that guy. Um, and all goalies. Him- all goalies, except for Darcy
0: Kemper. Well, I remember I remember talking to Bruce Golov like my first year, and he, he was saying Lamborghini, and I didn't know what he was saying. It took forever to understand. I don't know why he was talking about Lamborghini, but – um, and it was just me. Like, there wasn't, like, a group of people. It wasn't the media scrum. I was like, what are you talking about? But um, Jacob Chikrin is good if you want the uh, – I mean, it is – It is. there's not going to be a lot of, like, humor. It's just going to be, like, a recap of the game. Like Jacob Chikrin will give you that. Uh, Dylan Strome was great if you were just into, like, hard hardcore hockey. I, I, if there was a few times I would talk to him, and he would explain a play in great detail. I'd go back and watch the film, and he was 100% right. But he'd be explaining the play that was – 50 feet behind him on the ice. Like he was on the ice and he would be explaining what was going on
1: behind him. Did you have to, when you played it back, did you actually play it at a slower speed though? Yes. <laughs> he talked yes. a mile a minute. It was amazing. Really quickly how He talked he, he could have done like infomercials and think, you know, commercials on radio. Yeah. Just talked really fast. He would have been an expert at it. It was, it's like a fallback career for him. And I will say one last one. Uh, I,
0: I've always been convinced this guy will be a coach someday. If he wants to is Connor Murphy. He, that guy does interviews like coaches. I'll tell you, the first interview I ever did where I was like, this guy's going gonna to be like – he's going to be in radio or TV at some point was Paul Bissonette. Yeah, so he's such a good dude too, yeah. And I remember the interview started – what's up? Big fan of Connor Murphy. Agree. Yeah. Uh, with Bissonette, the first time I ever interviewed him, he sat down. He's like, I would fist bump you but I've got somebody's face on my hands right now because he had just gotten in a fight. <laughs> it's like, Oh that's yeah, fine. That's, you know, we can, we can just sit on opposite ends of this room. Uh, okay. That was a solid question there by Elton. That's uh, yeah, the bar we, has we been answered.
1: Oh, other than in the coyotes locker room. So I apologize. Eldon. we'll, we'll, we'll think about that a little more. I mean, I feel like pasta. I feel like David Pasternak
0: would be an interesting interview. I don't know. We always just hear sound bites from him. I don't know. Like how... Patrice Bergeron is an excellent interview yeah yeah that's true that's true um okay murdoch since it's been two games have you heard anything colorful from the players on the ice during play
1: due to limited fans no i cannot hear anything because there apparently is a 150 mile long train that runs through gila river <laughs> arena during games so i can't see anything that's going on on the ice
0: it has been very
1: loud in there. Um, no, that I don't know what that one noise is. They piped in. And listen, the, the in-game folks have done a great job. But that one noise, yeah, that can go. It really, it can go. I do feel like I live right next to the train tracks through. It is.
0: Game. I will say this: it is amazing the difference between being on on the media row where you are and being I don't know what eight feet up in the in the radio booth. When I come down there with you guys, it's. 10 times colder, and 10 times louder. It's unbelievable the difference that those eight feet make. Yeah. Uh, Rose, how many games should we wait before we start to ju- uh, judge
1: the penalty kill? Five, 10, more? It's a good question. With, with so many pers- uh, new personnel, that's that's a tough one. I don't think that there's a, a, an actual answer for that. But, yeah, I don't think it's five. I think it's probably closer to 10, 15 games before those guys sort of start working as a unit. Another thing to consider here, too, is practice reps. They're not going to be a lot of practice reps for these guys because there simply aren't a lot of off days. And a lot of those off days are going to be spent resting rather than practicing. They're yeah. going to do video. They're going to do a lot of their reps that way, but they're not going to get on the ice. So all those details that we talk about, it may take even longer than we expect because of that. I like when our listeners jump in and answer other listeners'
0: questions. Brandon wrote in and said, well, Coyote has had the most interesting, weird offseason. Who would be most likely to take up knitting? And Desert Doggies 96 immediately jumps in with Demers
1: on the knitting. I would agree with Demers on the knitting. Absolutely. He, he may do it already. We, we may not know. But in terms of interesting, odd off season, how, yeah. how can you choose anyone other than Oliver Ekman Larson?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's – that's yeah, it's a pretty pretty clear-cut answer, I would say. Um we actually – I guess we could do this more in future podcasts. We didn't really even talk about Doan and his new role with this team. I know it was such a big deal here, but, I mean, we haven't – that all happened on, what, Monday? That was all officially announced on Monday, so we haven't talked about
1: that on this it's podcast. It's about time, huh? Yeah. Yeah. That was basically the first reaction. I talked to 12 other sources, and probably 10 of them, the first thing out of their mouths was, it's about time. <laughs> that's insight right there too. When Craig writes a story, he talks to 12 sources. He doesn't go oh, with I, the necessary. I really don't do that very often. <laughs> I, and, and honestly, I don't want to do that very often. That was an exhausting day talking to all those guys and then transcribing all the quotes before I even started writing the story. But when Shane Doan returns to the coyotes, you, you kind of need to go the extra mile and, and, and get a lot of voices, like a lot of key voices that coyote fans know. Yeah, you do. And, uh, and if you are an aspiring journalist out there,
0: Obviously, Craig is the writer here. I have done some writing, and what you just said is the—it's uh, the key. The transcribing is the most just mind-numbing,
1: just like time-sucking part of the whole process. If you um, are an aspiring journalist, find yourself a free intern who is willing to transcribe all your quotes. Do not tell them—you know—tell them this is part of the process. This is part of the learning process. Oh yeah, or just go into radio or TV because you don't have to transcribe anything after three. Uh, Probably not three years. After three months, they'll quit on you anyway. Yeah, that's true. You need to like have a lineup of interns. Uh, Los
0: Coyote Steve is Garland a really good player or a star player?
1: I still think we're finding out. I don't know yet. Uh, we're we're still seeing him come into his own as an NHL player. And he talked about this with us. And in that story I wrote, he you know there's more that he wants to add to his game. The great thing about this guy is you never have to worry about Connor Garland's off season program. It's not like. Uh, is he going to dedicate himself? Not only is this guy going to dedicate himself, he's going to do a lot of weird stuff that nobody else is doing. He's (laughs) going to experiment with some crazy stuff, and he'll come back with something new. Uh, Again, we've talked about this before, but I was watching him just work the half walls in the corners last night, and I'm just so amazed at his ability to just switch directions on a dime and do it unexpectedly. It's got to be so hard as a defenseman to defend that guy because you just – you can get embarrassed. You could you could wave at Aaron. He could go around you and set up a play.
0: Yeah, and, and I give him a ton of credit for you know playing to his strengths. Like I'm sure his whole life he's been told like, "Hey, man, you're too small. You're, at some point, you're going to have to stop playing hockey." Now here he is in the NHL. He led the team in goals last year, so that obviously wasn't true. But the flip side of that is, hey, if you're smaller than most of the league, you can stop on a dime and change direction. And it, there are things that you know, you probably overall still at a disadvantage given up that much size, but there are areas where you could excel and he has really doubled down on those areas and is very good at them. And to your point, you know, even, even stuff that he has, he told us last week that he told you and and stories you've written his game already looks different two games in this season. It looks like he has gone
1: out and and consciously added elements to his game. Yeah. But, but he always goes back to working on his skating, doing different things. And he, he, Mm -hmm. as as I wrote in the story, uh, when I was still at the athletic, he, he works with a biggest skater, so when when we're talking about working on edges, you know everybody will, will, will hear about working on edge work, but he does some really creative interesting things um, and, and that's part of what we see on the ice, his ability to switch directions and get going full speed almost immediately. It's such a key part of his game and it's just it's it's really cool to watch. He's just a fun player to watch on the ice. It,
0: it has looked, and I, again, I know it's only two games, but it has felt like for long stretches of these games that this is his team for these first two games, which is crazy because a couple of years ago, you were like, ah, you know, fan favorite in the minors, but, you know, how much are we going to see him play? Like, maybe he can be a fourth liner or something, and, and he has so far so good, really, not just through these first two games, through the entire start of his career. Uh, Jan Yennick, fan club leader, and this, I guess, we could even just sort of generalize this. He said, "If OEL isn't ready to go Monday, is there any chance we see Soderstrom?" But how about just bigger picture? Do you expect expect to see Soderstrom at some point? I don't.
1: No, I, I think Soderstrom will be with the team for a couple of weeks until AHL training camp starts, and then he'll go down to Tucson. I, I don't think he's the next guy up. Now they don't have Ilya Labushkin in camp, so. That's a problem, but I would guess it would be somebody more like Kyle Capobianco or Jordan Gross that steps into that fold if they don't have OEL. I don't know what happened last night. We don't know. You know, Rick Tockett admitted that he didn't, wasn't sure what was going on at the time. He thought it might have just been an abrasion, but we'll find out. One thing that we've seen from OEL, man, he bounces back from these yeah. things. He, he, he rarely bounces. misses time, so I'm keeping that in the back of my mind. You, you, you never know what, what occurred on the play. If if something's broken, that's a different situation. But he does tend to bounce bounce back and end up in the lineup when we don't expect him to.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess in that case, if it's a if it's a head injury, there's nothing he can do. But we we all know he's played with a broken foot before. He's played with. I mean, he's he, if it's anything other than a head injury, I would expect him to be playing, um, just because that's that's who he is. But one last point on Soderstrom too. This guy, I mean, he just got drafted. Not was last year. I mean him not playing this season is not him not being on schedule.
1: Everything is still good to go with him. I mean, I would oh, expect yeah. to see him next year. I think the the smart play here and, and, and look, Bill Armstrong has talked about this too. This was his MO. This was the blues MO while he was with St. Louis. You can't be afraid to overbake guys in the AHL. You want to get them the reps. You want to get them the confidence. You want to get them playing in a ton of different situations and playing a ton of games. That's the plan for Victor Soderstrom this year. Let him play all those games in Tucson and get a feel for the North American game too, right? That's a, it's a bigger adjustment for him than it is for a North American prospect. So let him play down in the AHL. That's the smart play this season. Next year, when you lose all these veterans off the roster, you reevaluate at that point
0: uh desert doggies writes in which of the newly arrived players if any can we expect to see engage physically in these games against vegas after oel inevitably gets his face smashed into the
1: boards by ryan That's i think it's a fair question um yeah I, I wonder what the nick schmaltz ryan Reeves reunion is going to look like they got a bunch of players that can do that now i mean that that's why they brought in a bunch of these guys um i wonder if John Hayden might be in the lineup in one or more of these games. Tyler Pitlick's another guy who can bring a physical edge. Uh, Drake Cajula, they've, they've got some guys now. And look, it's it's not really Johan Larson's role, but he's a he's a bit of a of a pain in the ass type of player, especially yeah. you know like when he's in the offensive zone. Man, he can he can put the hurt on you. I, I'm very interested to see how that plays out now, not only over this Vegas
0: series, but going forward the rest of this year and into next year, because I I have. I've, I've long wondered if Rick Tockett has been playing the exact style of hockey he wants to play. And I think, I think Bill Armstrong's vision aligns very closely with Rick Tockett. So I think we're going to see more Johan Larsson's on this team in the future.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, obviously they'd still like to have the top end talent. They'd like to yeah. be stronger at the center position. There's nothing Bill Armstrong could do about that or Rick Tockett could do about that, but yeah, having more guys with this sandpaper style. Yeah. That is absolutely what Rick Tockett wanted to do. And, what BA wants to do is well. I'm calling him BA now. He's re- Bruce, uh, replaced Bruce Arians as BA. Wow. And, I, I and Brad Tree have... Living is B. Just B. Yes. Yeah. Okay. You, you got all that. So Brad Tree Living is B. Bill Armstrong is BA. Okay. It. Yeah. Okay. Now, in, in terms of sandpaper, I think they could add one more of those guys on the back end too. I, I think they may have even tried to, but that, that's not there yet. I, could, I think they could use that element on the blue line. But then, you know, when we get to the offseason and they have tons of cap space, it's going to be really interesting to see how Armstrong looks to remake this roster. They still don't have those guys in the system. they got to draft those guys. They don't have draft picks. So it's tough in the short term. But the vision really will start taking much clearer shape in this offseason.
0: Well, yeah, and the other thing is, I mean, you can't, you can't just go out there and be like, okay, I need a number one center, so let's grab him off free agency or in a trade. But those guys that, that are, are going to play maybe a more grittier style – you can't have your whole team be that, otherwise you won't score enough unless those guys are Matthew Kachuk and they score too. But you can add pieces like that. And they hadn't been doing it the last few years, and they already have this year. And I would assume with Bill Armstrong, uh, you're going you're gonna to see more of that. Uh, let's get to a couple more of these. Coachies Jack, what's your prediction for the Vegas series? I'm thinking Coyotes need to go a minimum 500. So I'm going to take it more like what do they have to do in this series? I would say out of eight possible points, you have to get three. Like that should be the floor and you'd like to get – you'd obviously like to get eight, but I think if you could get
1: five or six from Vegas, that would be ideal. However you want to get them. Six would be unbelievable, yeah. yeah. I would would be thrilled with five points out of this series. Uh, Yeah, you can't go lower than three. Who, in your your mind – I know we talked about how there are, like, the top three teams in
0: this division. Is there one that is like, this is the team in this division? Because for me,
1: it's either Vegas or Colorado, but I can't draw a clear distinction between them yet. It's 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 tough for me. I I still need to see Colorado do it in order to believe in them fully. But talent wise, I think they have it all. I think that's a other than maybe goaltending. I still think Colorado may make a move at some point this season to get a goaltender. We'll see how that plays out. But otherwise, I, I love that team. I think I definitely think that's a team capable of winning the cup. Yeah, Vegas is a really good team too. Vegas is definitely one of the top, probably five or six teams in the league, so they can win a cup as well. But if I had to pick a team, I'd still say Colorado is kind of head and shoulders above everyone else. But just look at the center position alone, right? We know how important it is. They've got Nathan McKinnon. Vegas yeah. doesn't have a player of that caliber. They just don't have a player of that Nobody caliber. Nobody does. There's like three teams in the league to have anybody on that level. But when you even talk about the center position with Vegas, I mean, do, do they have a center that screams, oh, my God, this is an elite number one center? They they don't really. No. And they're good at the position, but they're not—they're not elite at that position. They are. It's funny.
0: It's funny you say that because they are two teams at the top of this division, and I think this division could go to either one of them. And I think honestly, either one of them could win the cup this year. But they are very different in the sense mm-hmm. that Colorado has like some elite, elite talent, and Vegas just every single player steps in is good. Like everybody on Vegas is good. Nobody's great, but they're all good. All of them. It's—it's it's crazy. They're all, and some of them are very, very good. Uh, and it works for them. And it's crazy that they are now – they've been in this league. This is their fourth season. And yep. they are, like, one of the most most established lineups. I mean, they put that together in, in just a couple of years. Um, let's see. Let's do uh, – let's go Adam here. What does a good season look like for Barrett Hayton? What would
1: a failed setback season look like? Wow. Mm. Are we just talking production-wise? I mean, I want to see him in the lineup – consistently. Yeah. I don't want to see him a healthy scratch. That's that's not a good sign at this point. He needs to be in the lineup now. Mind you, last season was tough on Barrett Hayden because he didn't get enough development time. Part of that was the injury. He just didn't play enough games. So factor that in. But I still want to see him be in the lineup every night, contributing, be a regular part of it. But in terms of production, man, for a especially he's playing on the wing right now. Is he going to move to center? I'd like to see him move to center at some point because I still don't think that's where Derek Broussard should be playing. Well, so,
0: part of Hayden's value,
1: big picture is you want him to hopefully be a top two center on this team. Yeah. So I guess what I want to see from Barrett Hayden is be in the lineup consistently, get to the point in the season where they move you to center and then maybe God in a 56, I haven't done the math on a 56 game season. That's the problem with the, with the weird schedule. Yeah. Would you say mm, 30 points minimum 30 points?
0: I'd be happy with 30. I mean, we've had seasons in the past where not very many Coyotes in an 82-game season were were flying past the 30-point mark. Um, I I think the biggest thing – well, you said the biggest thing is he needs to be in the lineup consistently. And I would say, like, as the season goes on, I want to notice him more and more because you're right. These first two games, I haven't noticed him that much, although he had a really nice goal. And so, you know, if he's going to go in there and score a goal, but you don't notice him for 10 minutes or whatever, okay, that's fine. But as the season goes on, remember like this is not this is not a guy that they're hoping becomes a third line winger. This is a guy that they drafted hoping he would be the number 1 center and he shouldn't be there yet. That's the goal. So we should see progress this year. I just want to see him on the ice every game. Yep. And I want to see a lot of assists between him and John Hayden just to drive us all crazy when we're trying to distinguish. I between... I'm waiting for the play that's like Ekman Larson to Larson to Hayden to Hayden. That's
1: that's where I'm I'm waiting for that. You goal. last night Oliver Eckman Larson, Larson. I did not he see Yeah, it was a typo. <laughs> Twitter, Twitter edit button, right? Oh,
0: yeah. You're never getting one if you didn't get yeah, one yet. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's really... Oh, here's one from Joseph uh, on the way out. Why do Coyotes haters think they get to control where a half-billion-dollar franchise resides? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, as Luke pointed out earlier, Joseph, they're not paying attention right now. They're focused on the Canadian division, so we won't have to worry about it for one year.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't think that'll be a an issue for this season. Oh, here's here's one last one for you, Craig, AZ hockey nut. Any news on the Broussard to Arizona rumors? <laughs> uh, seriously, is that a, is that a question? Well, I think it, it's a question with a smiling face at the end. So okay. I, think they, I think they know.
1: They wouldn't be a hockey nut if they didn't know Brissard was here and, and almost scoring his first game. All I'm right, not that sure is what that means. Well, I, there's some subtext there that I, I'm not understanding. So. We'd like to leave the show with some uh, some mystery out there. All right, feel free to uh, rate and review the show. I
0: feel like I can say that now that we've done 45 minutes. No, no, we've done an hour. Even though we said this was going to be a short show, we did an hour. All right. We are incapable of speaking for less than an hour about hockey. Mm-hmm. All right, that's going to do it for us. For Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hat Trick Podcast.